It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 658, that's 658, of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have two great conversations lined up for you today. Joining me first will be Alan Adamson, co-founder at Metaforce.co and co-author of Shift Ahead, How the Best Companies Stay Relevant in a Fast-Changing World. Following my talk with Alan is another fun conversation with my partner in crime, Bridget Gleason. Our topic today... The importance of having routine and how you start your day. Today's episode of Accelerate is brought to you in part by our friends at Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales and marketing professionals. This feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by more than 250 researchers who continually update contact data and provide account-specific insight to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. See the product live at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. That's discover.org forward slash schedule hyphen demo. Okay, joining me on the very first segment on Accelerate this week is Alan Adamson. Alan is co-founder at metaphors.co and co-author of a very interesting book titled Shift Ahead, How the Best Companies Stay Relevant in a Fast-Changing World. You know, we live in a world where the pace of change is not slowing down. If anything, it's accelerating. And Al and I have a great conversation about why you can't stay relevant to your customers by staying in your comfort zone. You know, how being risk-averse is really a fatal decision in this type of environment. And also how focusing on your internal processes, right? Let's get our sales process focused, right? When you should be really focusing on the customer experience and the changes they're going through. Again, also runs the risk of being fatal in today's business environment. So let's jump into that here. Alan Adamson, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you here. So um, we're going to talk about your book. And you've written a really interesting book called Shift Ahead, How the Best Companies Stay Relevant in a Fast-Changing World. And as I mentioned before we started there, very interesting read because you know, the topic is so, so... Uh, relevant to use the word again uh, to what's happening in the business <laughs> business world these days. You know, I oftentimes sort of think of this this concept, and I know you don't say it per se in the book, but it's I use this concept I call future proofing. I know other people have used it, but it seems like that's really one that the challenges for uh, companies these days, and especially you know, talk about small and mid sized enterprises that that uh, primarily comprise the audience of this show is. Is how do they deal with these these you know rapid changings, unceasing changes that are occurring in the business environment, technological innovation, all these things that affect the way customers buy the product as well as the way they sell the product. Um, and I said I use this idea of future proofing. It's yeah, you know, how do you how do you put yourself in position to stay relevant to your buyers? Yeah, you know that's uh, you know the the. the where I started the book was to say, well, is it just me or is the world going faster and things accelerating and is just keeping your head above water um, my problem or is it everyone's problem? And, uh, you know, we went out and spoke to a, a number of uh, folks to make sure we were not uh, uh, myopic. Right. Uh, I had a great conversation with Tom Friedman, mm. who talked a lot about uh, the accelerating pace of change. Right. Well, sort of the premise of his, one of his latest books, yeah. Right. Uh, thank you for being late. And, uh, and uh, you know, he, he outlined in his book, as well as in our conversation, the, the, those macro forces, not only Moore's Law, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, the, the, the new globalization, uh, true integration, not just trading between countries, uh, and ultimately uh, climate change. Um, so uh, that, and <clears throat> you can also speak to a number of, um, uh, especially in the technology field, uh, when you look at S curves, as your audience will mm-hmm. know, uh, they're colliding, right. and getting closer together, and so um, it is happening faster. So it was not just me finding out that more and more of our clients were calling up and saying, "You know, can you help make me relevant and get people to buy our company, or our brand, or our service?" Uh, and it wasn't about just telling the story. The product was becoming your father's Oldsmobile. And there's nothing you can do if your if your product is not relevant or your service or your offer or your company, you can't just put lipstick on a pig anymore. 
Well, I think that, yeah, this term relevance to me is, is something that's not discussed enough. And, you know, even looking at it from a, a personal standpoint, I mean, not me personal, but as, let's say we have an audience of probably sales from the sales side on this show. And, and I talk with people, I said, yeah, this is really sort of the key thing for you, not just from a personal branding, but, you know, a career is how are you staying relevant to your buyers? You know, yep. on, on this very micro level, not not a you know Fortune 500 uh, brand perspective, but brand promise, but but it gets down to the individual level. Yeah, and that you know when we looked at uh, one of the interesting things, as you know, is that we spoke to many many companies, almost a hundred companies, mm-hmm. and the vast majority are failing at this. Are, we're we're trying to shift it. Everyone knows they need to stay relevant, and right. we're doing the latest stuff, and we're monitoring consumer sentiment and. We're looking at everything, but most companies we spoke to, organizations, big, small, public, private, were not succeeding. So it was far easier to fail at shifting ahead than it was at succeeding, even if you were really focused on it. And you know, well, what were they failing at? You know, there were a couple things. You know, one is you know, there's gravitational issues that affect every business that you just have to be aware of. One of them we uh, categorized as Marty Crane's chair. Uh, from the old Fraser show, mm-hmm. if you remember back that oh, yeah. far, another couple of generations back. But you know, he liked. He just unfortunately passed away. Yeah, that actor, John. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, but his b- belief that his comfortability with the past, he was the past was more comfortable for him than the future. Right. And you know, most most of us need to realize that we are creatures of habit, uh, and that when we come to the office, to the factory or to uh, our place of work, we, we tend to do what we did yesterday. <laughs> we, we don't start with a clean sheet of paper. We, we get into habits. So that that's one. The other big one um, came to me when I was thinking about the, the title for the book uh, and actually teaching my son to drive uh, a couple years back. And um, you know, he gets in the car and he has to you know, play with all the toys and electronics and sync his phone to the right. you know, everything else. And and, and he's driving, and he does a good job. But I tried to explain to him that when I was driving, I had something called a stick shift. And you know, what was that? You actually had to listen to the motor. You mm-hmm. had to pay attention to the road. You had to shift to the right gear if you were around a corner or going up a hill. Right. We were much more aware. And most of the companies, organizations, are in autopilot. They're in, they're in cruise control. They're just driving along. They're not really paying attention to their surroundings and maybe bopping to the radio. And so those two macro factor, factors about being more comfortable in the past and just, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We're in crew control and everything's fine. You know, are your starting points. So and most organizations are starting without using an overused sports analog in the end zone. <laughs> You're not even on the playing field. Yet. Right. You got to realize just to, just to get into it, you have to fight human nature. Well, it's, it's part of the issue, though, too, that, that at least in America, that certainly for public companies, there's... You know, really short-term mentality. Everybody talks about you know we're all fixated on quarterly earnings, and and companies are oftentimes you know constrained by that that focus from making the type of longer-term investments they need to make. And we see it even in private companies, especially in tech sector, venture-funded companies, where um, you know almost the same emphasis on quarterly quarterly growth. Is that is that part of the issue? Is that so? Rather than having that's a real barrier. That's a real when we looked at why. Why many, many companies and organizations fail, we, we coined it, yeah, not originally, but golden handcuffs. Mm-hmm. Most companies are so driven to make that quarter that they you know, will s- struggle to innovate because right. anything new, by definition, is less profitable than what you're currently doing. Almost every major company struggles with, if they try to innovate, the only thing for sure is their profit margin right. goes down. And Wall Street doesn't like that, which is why in the marketplace you find that lots of the innovation comes from companies like Amazon, where the CEO <laughs> has most of the share and they're really not that focused. He's doing well on Wall Street, but you know, Jeff is able to make longer term decisions. Than well, yeah, he basically ignored Wall Street for the first 15 years of the Republic, I think. Exactly. Yeah. So, but not many people have the, the courage. So, I mean, again, the, the theme of your book was. Okay, change is coming at you so quickly that any mistake you make uh, is magnified by the impact of the fact that you're you're traveling so quickly. Right. Um, how, how do you how do you deal with that? 
And and I think that this problem that to me is is something that's magnified for small mid-sized enterprises that you know they don't have a strategic VP you know, VP of strategic planning. They don't have the, the infrastructure and necessarily even the processes to to say, yeah, we not only have to have a vision for what we need to achieve this year, but we need an eighteen month or three year vision. Right, and that was another one of you know we talked about what's relevant for all organizations, large or small, and, and it's another barrier that prevents all types of organizations. You know, if if the future is an agenda item, <laughs> you're already in trouble. Oh, because most people say, you know, let's on Thursday at four o'clock, we're, we're going to talk about the future, right? Future. And then, you know, Thursday at three o'clock comes and something else happens, customer returns product and just cancel it. And we'll, oh, we'll get to that next week. So companies that look at the future as an agenda item are also unlikely to succeed. Companies that had a bit of the old Andy Grove, only the paranoid survive, uh, tended to um, have a better chance. It's staying relevant. So what did that look like in terms of, you know, organizational process, if you will, or uh, culture that, you know, that, that, you know, enable them to sort of keep that, that focus where it need to be on. Yeah. Who, who's, who's, who's catching, who's gaining on us. And what it, do we it's, it was often the leadership of the company. Um, it, you know, it, it, it was a leadership went in or was there and they had a, a bit of the paranoid or, mm-hmm. or even, one of the success stories we talk about in the book is Marriott. Right. And today, yes, we're still successful. But uh, 10 years ago, when Bill Marriott uh, was running the company still, he, he had a, a motto which said, success is never final. And he constantly pushed the organization just because they had a good quarter or a good year. The only thing for sure is that was last year. Right. And so you need that drive at the top. You can't. Um, you cannot shift ahead unless the leadership of the company is looking out at the road ahead, not so much optimizing what's inside today. Yeah, and when we're talking about the challenge that comes from you know public companies. The other thing you said that I, another thing you said that was really interesting. You said it's uh, staying connected to your organizational DNA or staying true to your true north as you shift ahead is critical. So, tell us what you meant by that. Um, yeah, it, it, it sounds, if you go to any marketing convention or talk, everyone talks about what's your purpose and having a clear sense of that. But, um, there, there are two pieces. One is if you have a clear purpose, it's usually longer term in nature. Um, and, um, and if you stay focused on that, it's like back to the driving out. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're looking at the road right in front of your car, right. or if you're looking at the mountain as you ski right in front of the mogul right in front of you, you're not going to be as good a driver or skier than if you're looking down a little further. And the same with leadership in the company. You need to have a sense of why you're there and where you're going in the long term. We had a great conversation with the uh, uh, founder of Conservation International. And he started the organization, uh, huge success after 20 years. But he looked out down the road and said, you know, my mission, my purpose of protecting, protecting the environment, protecting uh, uh, species and animals, we're failing. And, you know, and he said, we need to change our purpose because our purpose was to protect them, was to put up fences around these hot spots these endangered areas and species. He said, that does, you know, it, it, that's no longer going to work in the future. We need to not only protect, but we need to embrace the communities around these areas and create a symbiotic system because we can't build fences high enough to prevent people from coming in and taking the natural resources. We need to redo our purpose. So he was a, a rare breed of a leader who uh, was able to adjust the purpose Oh, and say we're not we're not only focused on protecting; we need to embrace the ecosystem and the surrounding economic system to get success. So, you know, leaders like that were able to take a longer term look at what they were doing and where they were going. Well, he reconceptualized their mission, if you will. Exactly. And is that what you found is fairly common among the companies that successfully right. shift ahead? Yes, they need to rethink it, get less myopic, or go back to the future. Many, many organizations lose the plot. We had a number of great oh, that, conversations. Yeah, that's so true. Right. <laughs> never a great conversation with Sony. 
Uh, and I, you know, Sony was a brand to me when I was growing up, like mm-hmm. Apple, young people. And when we spoke to the CEO of Sony, um, he said, well, you know, we've lost our purpose. You know, Sony used to be, he said, which was true, about giving you goosebumps. Yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. When you, when you heard a Sony product, you got goosebumps. How could they get this sound out of this little box? Mm-hmm. How could they get a color a picture on, their, on a screen like this? Uh, and they went from delivering and goosebumps to saying, oh, we'll put the Sony name on shower radios, on clock radios, on, right. you know, on poster ovens. And all of a sudden, there are 100 products of which none gave you goosebumps. So right. in, the, in Sony's case, it was that we need to get back to our original purpose of and anything that Sony puts his name on needs to give you goosebumps. Now, they're on that journey. I'm not sure if they'll ever get back to that. But at least in that case, it was about getting a clear sense of where the organization needs to go. Well, I think the other thing, though, that, that that ties to that you talk about in the book is where a lot of companies lose the focus is they lose the customer in the mix. And, yeah, you, know, you gave the example of Domino's, you know, sort of <laughs> falling by the wayside because they lost the focus on the well, customer. It doesn't matter if it tastes good. Yeah, we're, we're, right. we're going to deliver it in four minutes. In four minutes. Matter. And, yeah, stay <laughs> off the roads when the, the pizza delivery guy is on the way to your house. Yeah. But you give the example of how they, you know, made everybody start taking responsibility for the way the product tasted and came across. Right. They all had to start making from a CEO down, make pizzas and so on. Is, is, and I see that oftentimes with, is that people get so absorbed sort of with, with their processes that, and maybe with their culture to some degree, that they lose focus to the fact that everything they're doing really is, is, should be for the customer. Exactly. They, they get, um, we had a, a number of conversations with, with uh, some terrific research people that help clients do future casting and projecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, one of his names, Paco Underhill, he's an anthropologist, but he said, you know, in companies that fail to shift ahead, if you look for the leadership, they are the furthest away from the customer. <laughs> They're in a conference room reviewing stuff. Uh, the last time they walked in a customer's shoes was years ago. I can't ago. remember, right? Yeah. And yeah, another uh, great book that's out in the marketplace is called The Founder's Mentality. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar. You know, when you found a company, when you start a company, you go home every day and you, you walk the, uh, the store, you talk to people, you show your product to people, you never lose that passion. And if the company loses that passion about constantly staying out of their own bubble and in the marketplace, uh, it's another recipe for uh, trouble or success. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I remember in my own experience working with a startup that was, was a mature startup. We were scaling and we we're, you know, several years into the journey. But remember a, a customer telling me, hey, we're not going to buy from you mm-hmm. <laughs> this next go around. I'm like, well, why? He says, well, because we haven't heard from the CEO in a year. And he mm-hmm. always used to talk to me about once a month. Uh, simple things. And, uh, and you know the the best leaders um, have a clear sense of how they stay in touch, you know, with the market. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. You an interesting term. Just a little digression for that is is uh, you talk about the importance of differentiation over relevance. So, saying that companies that were, you know, more relevant than differentiated were in process of becoming a commodity. So, give an example of that. I mean, what what. Because I think that's really interesting. Is you know people strive to stay relevant, but they don't oftentimes don't think about you know meaningful differentiation. Yeah, you have to do both. Um, the the challenge is um, sometimes. Uh, I think the, the bigger challenge we found uh, is that sometimes the company focuses so much on the differentiation, but how are you different? And you know that they lose the fact that people no longer care about that difference. You know, what, what makes a, a brand powerful, as your listeners know, is the combination of give me something different that I care about. And if it's very different, I don't care about it, then you're a niche brand, you know. And, you know, if I care about it, but I can't tell the difference, you know, I will, I will buy the cheapest airline ticket because everyone's got the same plans and it's the same experience. And, uh, you know, the only thing that matters is price. But it's a balancing act. And uh, that... Most marketers became, I think, over time, too focused on differentiation. And I, I categorize it, you know, we talk about too many clients and organizations became, play too much um, 
tennis and not enough golf. And they were in limbo that. When I was a brand manager at Unilever, uh, I was totally fixated. I was in the bar soap category, soap category. I was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> every conversation we had. A category that's gone away, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, every conversation was about, did you see what P&G did yesterday? Did you see what Colgate did tomorrow? What it's going to do tomorrow? And it, we were so fixated on Colgate and Proctor. We, we were just, and, and in, in tennis, um, if you're playing tennis, you're just really worried about, I'm bad at it, but if you want to be a little better, you try to hit the ball where your opponent isn't. <laughs> uh, in golf, you don't really care that much. Uh, the embarrassment first you're playing with it, you're slowing them down. Um, you know, you're more focused on the ball, the customer, the environment, what's going on. And every company we that runs into trouble, Coke and Pepsi, Coke was, you know, incredibly, I worked with Pepsi, focused on Pepsi. Um, and what that leads to is you, you're, you're spending your time saying, how do I make this cola a little different than the other guys. Now, the challenge is what happens if no one wants to drink cola anymore? It doesn't matter if, <laughs> if my cola tastes 10% better than the other person's. Um, and many, many companies today have, have spent too much time in differentiation where consumers say, I don't care. I don't like anything. It's not right. relevant to me anymore. Right. Uh, well, you uh, talk about energized differentiation. So I right. thought that was an interesting term. So tell people what you meant by that. That means that, you know, Never done, never won and done. You know, the most companies say, well, here's how we differentiate and we're done. The companies that do better are constantly innovating and differentiating every year a little further. And you get that momentum. Consumers and customers feel that your brand is not standing still. You, you're not, you're always changing. And that leads to a stronger brand than just the one and done. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I sort of saying is common sense, but yeah, that a brand is is not a location but a direction, right? And you got to you know you got to always say that you know how do you know what's what's tomorrow? Yeah, well, I think this is especially a challenge for again for smaller mid sized enterprises is to sort of have this this vision that um, again that the brand of what you're selling. I mean, first of all, Mm -hmm. they they don't spend enough attention on brand in general, and yeah. Everybody's in a competitive market these days, oftentimes in markets that are becoming commoditized. Mm-hmm. So the challenge, I think, really becomes for smaller enterprises, yeah, is to, that is not once a week, but have a leader who's, who's focused on this idea of, yeah, what's, you know, let's start with the end in mind. Where do we want to be in 18 months yeah. or three years or whatever? Uh, and what do we have to rethink in order to get there? And the other factor that, you know, it's tied to where we started our conversation is that most companies, organizations are just unable to move fast enough. You know, they, they say, oh, we're doing that. And it's three months out and they find out by the time they launch their service, they're number four, the cheese has moved. Uh, so another key skill for leadership of any organization. Uh, and I was with a client of mine a couple months ago and uh, he talks about the importance of CEO of the company of, of impatience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be make it perfect. If it takes three years, that's okay. If it takes five years, but in a world that's constantly accelerating, you need leadership that says we need this done fast. And you know, yeah, I mean, know. sort of the the lean startup type thinking is you know, exactly minimum, minimum viable product, and let's let's get something out and try it. And if it's not perfect, right. that's fine. Right. We'll iterate it. And those companies tended to. Uh, you know, it's, I know Facebook's going through some challenges now, but on the wall of Facebook is still, you know, move fast, break things and, you know, move on. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's about, um, so, but you have to have that culture of ability to move quickly. You know, one of the things that I was speaking to the CMO of Facebook and, you know, when they're on it, when he's on a, on an assignment, he has a whole pass. I don't know what, I forget what he calls it, a fast pass. And he can knock everything off his calendar because if he's on an assignment he can totally clear his calendar when i try to get something done on my calendar there's so many obstacles by the time i get the first meeting in it's three weeks so getting a culture that says we need to move fast and how do we enable our organization to reprioritize and lock themselves in a closet for two weeks if that's going to get it done fast let's talk a little bit about the um, red flags you talk about that i think are good warning signs that losing relevance in in your marketplace and first thing we talked about i don't have time to go through all of them but um talk about basic math you know you have declining or flat sales eroding margins um 
a lot of times people you know consider their their growth in the context of am I growing faster than my market? Right. Um, you know, but you could be doing that and still have a red flag waving. Yeah, and, and you know, the first challenge is by the time sales start to fall for most of the organizations we re- research, it was almost too late to mm-hmm. shift because you know it, it causes a cascade of other problems of lack of resources. Uh, focus on Wall Street, short-term thinking, how do we prop the numbers up? Uh, so, um, yes, but even if you're, you're catching it pretty early, the, you know, the sales is starting to depress, yeah, no, one, the other, no company likes to deliver bad news. I remember I spoke to the folks at Campbell's, and I said, you know, tell me, what's, what was going on for the last 10 years at Campbell's? And, you know, the executive said, you know, we would show sales charts, but we would show dollar sales growth. Mm-hmm. And we would Not price minutes. increase every year. Right. And so, the, 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 you know, we want to say profits were up and revenue is up. If you asked to see unit sales, they were going the other way. But no one wanted to show the CEO unit sales because they didn't have a solution to that. What they could do is take price up every 5, 5% a year, maybe take some cost out and show, you know, EBIT growth and revenue growth. So, you know, it is basic math, but, you know, you need to... You need to be able to to be honest with yourself, uh, and and well, I, think that's, I think that's the key is, is self honesty. I mean, it, it seems like there's some early indicators, though, and maybe you you uncovered some. But you know, I think about certainly from a sales perspective, is I think there's a crisis in sales productivity, business to business. Percentage of reps attaining quotas dropping and number of uh, dollars of revenue they're generating per hour of selling time is dropping. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, that's like, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a big red flag. Yep. Um, and, you know, the, you're most vulnerable after a big success. I was with a company uh, a couple weeks ago, and they had an eight-year run where every year business was up. And what happens if you're not exercising those muscles? The salespeople just have to take orders. The product development people didn't have to change it because it was selling more hotcakes. And over time, your core muscle strength in innovation and true sales and certainly marketing disappear. Um, so the, the faster you're rising, the more likely you're going to get into trouble. Because uh, invar- invariably, success is never final. But your organization is not skilled in all the basics that if you had less of a home run product and the money was falling in, you would be able to do it, that's at least another one you had, which was uh, big on data and short on analysis, which yeah. is rampant these days. You know, because we certainly in the get in the sales space, we have all these new tools and technologies that are collecting a lot of data. But you look at how managers are using the data, and oftentimes it's just sort of reinforce their their own worldview. You know, the whole right, time they're in their own bubble, they're drinking yeah. the own Kool Aid. Uh, so everyone's building big dashboards, and yes, um, but often you know. Again, by the time the data flips, and some companies, in terms of back to Facebook, they can see what's happening in real time in Google. And so data, and they grew up paying attention to data. So the culture pays attention to it. And so if people start dropping off, <laughs> you know, it's real time and it's, you know, very clear. But other companies, by the time the, the market research comes up and says, you know, people are feeling a little less happy about our product, you know, way, way too late. We still have the, the issue I see often with companies is the whole correlation versus causation right. dilemma. And you know, sort of easy to spot correlations, but. Yeah, but why? Yeah, why? <laughs> and what's really causing them? And that's. And then that's the bigger challenge the, what can you do about it? <laughs> right. And that often seems to be the big gap. Yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of people collect data, but the people that can look at the data and say, what does this mean? What are the insights? You know, why is this happening? Um, But I I think back, besides not paying attention, the other big one, red flag, uh, Andy, was a bit of arrogance. You know, Mm -hmm. when we talked to lots of people, that uh, we we looked at lots of big colossal failures, and everyone thinks they know all the stories that happened. But on BlackBerry, you know, when we spoke to the the leadership team, BlackBerry, for many parts of their success, they became more and more arrogant, and they truly looked at the... Touch screen and said, mm-hmm. that's a toy. Anyone serious in business is going to want a keyboard. Exactly. Pay, no, pay no attention to that man behind, behind the curtain. 
Well, and you point out in the book, Nokia did something very similar. Exactly. You know, who's going to want to pay $600 for a phone? We can do it for $119. And so, and we're world's women in our phone. So I don't care what they do. Well, my own example of that is, is, so I worked at Apple back in the early days of Apple. and, And I remember there was an interview given by Ken Olson, who was... You know, chairman CEO of digital equipment computer at that time, Deck, who was you know high flyer at that time, and very famously as headline of this article, which I clipped and kept on my my wall, and actually I ran against across it in a, a box of memorabilia I was going through, was saying, "It's crazy to think everybody's going on a PC, right?" Mm-hmm. And it's just like we're not getting involved with it. It's just nuts, you know, blah 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, they survived maybe another 10 years. Yeah, and they got to hang out with the compact people. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's an example of the arrogance. Just yeah. That, yeah. We're so good yeah, at what we do, nothing yeah, can disrupt us. And you see the world through your lenses. Which uh, leads you then to sitting in your comfort zone, which is sort of the last one right. I have time to talk about. But as, and I think this afflicts a lot of companies. And again, I think specifically small, mid sized companies that feel like they don't have the, the tools to compete with the bigger companies, which I don't believe is the case, but mm-hmm. they tend to hunker down. Uh, they get risk averse. Yeah. Uh, and they get more internally focused. Right. Uh, it becomes a game of we have to shrink and let's build up the walls and who do we vote off the island? And you have to do the exact opposite. You have to be the further, the, the, the further behind you are in terms of shifting, the more risky you have to be, more fast you have to be, more risk forward you have to be. Uh, and you have to get out of the company. You know, right. the other famous Bill Marriott story was uh, that his, they used to say his feet never touched the desk. He spent no time in the office. He was in the kitchens. He was walking mm-hmm. the halls. He was fluffing the pillows. He was talking to the the bell captains. And that keeping the, the feel of the market uh, allowed them to see what was coming before his research people came and said, people aren't interested in staying in this hotel anymore or eating this hamburger. Yeah, I, I think it's worth sort of wrapping up on that point because this is this is really a critical one. I deal with a lot of companies that have sales issues and and there's the CEOs are trying to figure out you know what what the problems are. And and I'll ask that question. What was the last time you went out and visited a customer? And walked and in their shoes, walked the in their shoes and flew on the flew on the airline. Well, yeah. Was well, a a uh, who told me this, but somebody said, yeah, the answer to a sales problem is never found in the office. What Bill Bill Marriott was doing. Yeah, and they'll they'll do org charts and they'll do performance metrics and you know it often means go out with a salesman for a week and see what's going on, or go without the salesperson, which is better more more relevant. You don't and, get the, you don't get the milk run. That's right, and you don't get uh, you're not worried about the customer not being filtered when they're talking to you. Yeah, and it's, this is a lesson, I think, for, for all listeners when you think about this, especially if you're a CEO or a sales leader, is, is what percentage of your time are you spending with your customers? If you're looking about maintaining relevance, a friend who's a CEO of a good-sized public company that does you know, spends a third of his time with customers. And happy customers and unhappy customers. Exactly. Almost as important. The other thing that happens, people just gravitate to the people that see them, and they don't see the people that don't, but they don't push the door and say, why aren't you seeing me anymore? Why aren't you buying anymore? They don't like to hear bad news. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Alan. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, but great conversation. So, tell folks how to uh, learn more about your book and connect with you. Um, uh, they can go to shiftaheadbook.com. Um, there's excerpts there, and I run a firm that's built off uh, helping companies shift ahead. It's called Metaphors, uh, and uh, they can go to metaphors.co. Yeah, you're practically a neighbor here in Manhattan, so. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Urge people to do that. Check out the book. It's really an excellent read and it's a lot of lessons for companies of all sizes. Thank you, Alan. Again, that was Alan Adamson, co-founder at Metaforce.co and author of Shift Ahead, How the Best Companies Stay Relevant in a Fast-Changing World. Joining me next is my usual partner, Bridget Gleason, VP of Sales at Logs.io. Today, Bridget and I tackled the topic of routines. You know, there's been a ton written recently on the value of having a predictable, consistent routine to follow at the start of your day. And in our conversation, Bridget and I dive into what a good morning routine looks like. And we also touch on the power of affirmations to help put you on the right mindset for success. So let's jump into that. Bridget, how are you doing? Andy, as usual, great. There's, there's 
um, yes, one yes. of my colleagues mm-hmm. in the office who I adore, he's the VP of customer success. I will ask him, Boaz, how are you doing today? When I see him in the morning, every morning he is, as he says, every day is a great day when I wake up. And he has this this chant that they do at home where a chant they do say, as a family. I'm alive. He says, I'm alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. And so whenever he says, Bridget, how are you doing? I say, Boaz, I'm alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. So that's when you were asking how I was doing, I started to say or thought in my mind, I'm alive. I'm awake. Well, first of all, I'm awake. I'm alert. I'm enthusiastic. Yes, at our advanced stage, waking up every morning is a victory in itself. That is a victory in and of itself. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about Boaz Mm -hmm. is he brings this positivity and energy to the office every day. And there's no underestimating just what that does to a culture and to a company, everything. It's so powerful to bring positivity. It's so powerful to bring just optimism and up and enthusiasm. It's just, it's such a gift. And we sit very close to each other. So I get to sort of feed on that during the day. And it's just such a great energy, such a great energy to have, such an important energy to have. Well, let's, let's dive into that for a little second. So he's doing, Boaz is doing affirmations when he wakes up. Yeah. And do you have an affirmation? Uh, I do them every morning. Any you can share? Well, they, they, I do some affirmations and also gratitude. Mm-hmm. And I set intentions. But they change. Like, I don't have the same one that I do. I may pick one. Um, I'm, I, I journal every morning and that's where I, I write everything down. It really depends on what, it really depends on what's going on in, in my day or my life or actually where we are in the quarter. <laughs> I hate to admit, <laughs> but that, um, but, but sometimes that, so it's, and sometimes they're more lighthearted than others. Like one was, um, it ain't no use putting up an umbrella until it rains. Like, don't mm-hmm. stress about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be affirmations just that, um, yeah, what I'm doing. or it, it, They really depend. And then I really try to set um, an intention. And then I always have, a, I spend a lot, of, a lot of time on gratitude, things I'm really grateful for. Which I think is, is useful. I mean, I'll do that at, at the end of the day. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have an affirmation in the morning. I mean, I sort of go through phases, I guess sometimes I do. But, but yeah, I always am anxious to get out of bed and start the day. Me too. And while there's occasions, I love lying around, lazing around in bed uh, on a lazy weekend or something. But, but in general, yeah, I'm just, it's just my mindset. I wake up. I want to go. Yeah, I want to. I want to do something. I want to accomplish something, and uh, that's why. Yeah, you know, I have friends who are starting to talk about retirement and things like that, and I'm like, I'm still writing books and creating podcasts and you know new businesses and all this. I just can't. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine sort of slowing down like that. But I think part of that is just this mindset. When I wake up in the morning, I want to accomplish something. Yeah, and I think we're. I think that's a gift, and part of it is cultivated for sure. But I, I think not everybody wakes up. Well, not everybody wakes up. Okay, but let's say we wrap. Up. <laughs> we we pass that test. We wake up, our eyes not open. Everybody is alert, awake, alert, enthusiastic. I, I feel like you do and my family, most people in my family are the same way. Like we just bound out of bed and we're like, let's start the day and get to it. Um, so I think that's, I, I, I think though, to bring what, what Boaz brings to the office, um, I know that he has days cause I know him 
well enough to know he's human, that there are days when he's not feeling enthusiastic, but he brings enthusiasm. And I think that also is, uh, it just, it, it lifts the mood, lifts the mood. I believe there's been research done into this that shows there's power behind affirmations. I mean, I, I haven't done a lot of reading on it, but I've done just a little bit here and there. And, and I always think back to my uh, roommate one year in college, actually for a quarter in college, who, yeah, on his mirror, <laughs> they got dressed in front of every morning. Affirmations, you know, little post-it notes and notes written actually on the mirror and, and magic marker and so on. And, and and he was diligent and it was a part of his life. And, yeah, you know, he ended up being quite successful in life. <laughs> and I have, I have another friend who... Uh, used to, when I was living in San Diego and at this one pool I'd swim at every morning for master swimming, guy was, I don't know, maybe not quite 10 years older than I was and also had been very successful in his life. And, and yeah, he had his affirmation was, every day is another opportunity to succeed. That's a great one. And that was his. And That's he would, <laughs> I know he'd say it to himself as he woke up and but he has to walk into the locker room, and every time he walked in, is, "Hey, Don, how you doing?" He said, "Gentlemen, today is another opportunity to succeed." That's great. <laughs> that's great. Love it. And I, I say that to myself. I mean, that's if there is an affirmation that, that I use most frequently, that's that's the one. It's very catching. I thought very simple, very catching, and it's absolutely true, right? There's an opportunity in every day, and if we just focus ourselves and taking advantage of it, um, we can push through. I had, um, gosh, they're at my house in California, so I don't have them handy, but I used to have a, just a set of cards that were different affirmations every day. And every morning I would just turn over a new card and that would be the affirmation. I'm sure there are calendars that have that too, but just the affirmation for the day that I would really think about. And I, I really looked forward to seeing what kind of what that was going to be for the day. There were some sometimes that I would hang on to one mm-hmm. and I would just say, you know, I'm not ready, ready to go pick another one, but very, very powerful. Yeah. Well, a couple of weeks ago we had, we had talked about comfort zones and, mm-hmm. and I think this is what a comfort zone is what holds people back from trying this whole thing of affirmations I mean, a is that people think, oh, it seems a little corny or nah, things are going okay as it is. You know, I don't want to, I don't need that type of thing. But again, I think the, the self-talk is, is powerful. I, mean, I think part of my mindset of feeling positive when I wake up in the morning is, I don't think it's naturally endowed. I think it's, it's something that I developed over time. I remember very, being very conscious about it when I was, actually when I was in college, I think was when I really really started getting into the habit of just, you know, every day is, you know, hey, let's get at it. Let's get at it. Let's do something. I think it's a great, I mean, if we're going to bring this back to our the topic at hand, which is typically around sales, mm-hmm. um, I think, I mean, for me, it's that, it's, it's that, energy. It's that shot of caffeine. It's that whatever you want to call it to, to help me start my day. Yes. And so more powerful than uh, caffeine or any of the other things, it's the, it's the emotional equivalent to just get me going. And I get excited about it. And it, it allows me to approach my work more positively. And my interactions with customers are more positive because I'm bringing I'm bringing a positive self to the table. And I think that's more attractive. That's something people are drawn to. It's nobody wants to be on the phone or in a meeting with somebody who's dragging and doesn't want to be there and is low energy. Well, and I think so more authentically, I, I, can, I can do that and be that, uh, the, the better. Yeah, well, I think the, the, the bigger topic here is about having a morning routine. And, and you see more and more written about this, at least yeah. I am, and I'm sure you do as well, is, is the importance of a morning routine. And these are things you will do 
when you're when you wake up and to get yourself geared up and ready to go for the day. Some people it's uh, affirmations, it's uh, reading a little bit. I know somebody get, wakes up and the first thing they do is yeah, you know, well they're still in bed. They read half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be exercise. Or it could be all of these things in a sequence. You know, there's one uh, entrepreneur out there whose work I follow, and he has a very set routine. You know, he gets up. He, um, I think the first thing he does is he he reads, uh, not email, but you know he reads and does. You know, these are all things you're doing for yourself. He has some affirmations. Then gets the kids ready, gets them off to school. And then he does this thing where he sends out an email every day to his list. So he goes to a coffee shop like at 9 o'clock and writes his email. It's done at 10, goes to the office at noon. Well, I think even before he goes to the office, then he gets in a workout. Uh, and then he goes to the office. So he gets, gets in a little late. But you know, he's already done some work, but got the kids off. And it's like he's just, that's it. That's his routine. And he will swear up and down that, that's what gets them through the day. I have a, I mean, uh, I know. And you from, have one, obviously. Oh, yeah. My routine is super important in the morning. I mean, and it's, it's, it's a series of things. It takes me hours. And I, so I can hardly wait to get up in the morning. Like sometimes, and I get up early. I get up around four. Mm-hmm. And if sometimes I'll wake up in the threes. Yikes. And I won't let myself get up. I'm like, Bridget. That's not morning. That's nighttime. And I like toss and turn. But when it's 4, 4, 1, it's like, fine, you can get up now. Hmm. And my routine is, I don't drink a lot of coffee, but I do have a, um, an espresso in the morning and, or at 4, maybe in the middle of the night. And <laughs> yeah, I, definitely in the middle of the night, yeah. Before you I, run. Yeah. And I have, I, I read the New York Times and I write in my journal, and I go for a run, mm-hmm. and yeah, then I shower, get dressed, walk to the office. So, like, I like having a lot of time to be able to to spread that out if I want to. So I read too. I, I read for probably about an hour, and I typically I like to catch up on the news. Um, I like to write in my journal. That's where the affirmations, gratitudes, all that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. run. So it's a really good morning. Such a great morning. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, I, as we mentioned previously, I said, I, I prefer, <laughs> mine's not quite a set. I mean, I would say most days of the week, I'm going to go out and exercise when I wake up. Um, it hasn't, it's maybe five out of seven or something, but I'll usually exercise at least every day. Um, but yeah, the getting up, getting it done, you learn that, especially. Yeah, the younger people that are listening to this, you know, if it's easy enough to exercise in the afternoon before your kids come. But once mm-hmm. you <laughs> get into a relationship and the kids start showing up, you're going to find your afternoon exercise is going to go away. Because if you want to come home and see your kids and spend time with your kids, uh, yeah, you're not going to be exercising during the, that hour. Um, so you're going to learn to be a morning person. That's how, For me, that's how I learned to exercise in the morning is once... Yeah, once we start a family. Yeah, the only time it, um, I think I probably, I exercised in the morning also, but depending on, sometimes kids' routines were a little off. Sometimes I would do it in the afternoon, but I had it like a jogger stroller. So then I would get some extra, again, depending on kids' Mm. schedule. um, And those are getting fancy these days. I know, they were just, they, again, here we go, back to the olden days. Back in the olden days when the you know the wheels were square and the hard <laughs> along the road. No, I just remember I don't know, being on vacation. I think we're in Hawaii somewhere and and just marveling at this. But I was running, and this one was running the opposite direction with with somebody in the the jogging stroller. And I was just as it went by, I was sort of like, "Wow, those things have gotten fancy." Um, and as it turned out, we ended up meeting on a path that took different loops, and I saw her was coming up behind her, and she decided she needed to make a quick U-turn. Oh dear! Yeah, I went sprawling right, right over the right over the top of the stroller. Oh dear! Introduced up close and personal to her her baby son. <laughs> her, her, he didn't her, scare her, him. Her toddler. I, I don't know. I 
I don't recall. I was she was mortified, and then as it turned out, unbeknownst to me, we actually were staying in a rooms next to each other at the hotel. <laughs> that's so, yeah, that's funny. All right, so people, do your affirmations. That's right. If you're gonna start somewhere, start. Hey, every day is another opportunity to succeed. That's that's my favorite. Uh, what I you, love what's yours? That. You want to leave them with that one, or you want to leave them with one of yours? Um, what would I say is, I mean, again, um, okay. So one of them, this just, maybe I'm just going to give you themes because they, they change, but one would be, you know, today's, today's just going to be a great day. So just anticipating that things are happening that are going to happen. Oh, one of them that somebody sent me, I have it up at home is that, um, I'm going to live each day as if the universe is uh, conspiring in my favor. Ooh, like that. Conspiring yeah. in my favor. I like the that. The universe is conspiring in my favor. And I think about that one a lot, especially when things go wrong. I think, oh my God, look at the universe conspiring in my favor. And they are so creative, I can't even see it. Boy, is the universe amazing because this does not seem like it's in my favor. <laughs> well, uh, but I heard that, and what what that said to me though is is that is it going to present? You got to be alive to opportunity. Oh yeah, and that, that that I think is is a shortcoming that so many of us have in life is that that what we're, we're being presented all the time are opportunities, and we just yeah. have to be alive to them. As you know, Again, back to our conversation a couple weeks ago, comfort zones. If you're in your comfort zone, you're not ever going to be alive to the possibility of the opportunities that are coming your way. Oh, I love that quote. That's a great one. Keep your eyes open. I, I, I honestly, I, I look online a lot too when I think, okay, what would be an interesting affirmation that maybe I haven't thought of? So I like I that. Treat, treat every day as if the universe is conspiring to help you. Yeah, inspiring in my favor. Inspiring in my favor. Conspiring in my favor. I love it. All right, Bridget, we got to jump. That's a great way to leave it. Uh, friends? All right, until next time. Yeah, until next time. Next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Wacky Wednesday. Yeah, let's work on that one, okay? Fine. We're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> That's your job. All, All right. right. Bridget, we'll it. talk to you then. All right, sounds good. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the Week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to thank my guests, Alan Adamson and my friend Bridget Gleason. Join me again next week as I welcome Phil, Phil Singleton to Accelerate. Sorry, Phil, for botching your name there. Phil is the author of a couple books, including SEO Growth, The Ultimate Guide for Marketers, Web Designers, and Entrepreneurs, and The Small Business Owner's Guide to Local Lead Generation. And of course, no Accelerate would be complete without a conversation with my great friend Bridget, as always, she'll be joining me next week for our weekly conversation. Be sure to join us then. So thanks again to our sponsor, Discover Org, for their ongoing support of Accelerate. Thanks again for joining me. And until next week, good selling, everyone. <laughs>